Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear co-host. Happy birthday to you. And welcome to episode 50 of the Wildcast, where in this episode, Tom's turned 30. Yeah, yes. I mean, I, I mean, I, I was sorry. I was just so taken aback by the intro. Um, thank you. Yeah, thank you, thank you for that. Is this really the best offer you've had on your thirtieth birthday and to sit down and record a podcast with us two? Um, I mean, I'll be honest. Yes. <laughs> well, well, there was that and the swan debacle yesterday. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It was. Yeah, swans unfortunately derailed, ironically, any plans to um, to record before my thirtieth birthday. So yes. This was apparently the best offer I had. I don't know whether to be honoured or upset. I'm bringing endorsement, whatever it is. Honoured? Honoured? We'll take it. We'll take it. So, no, hello and welcome to the 50th episode of the Wildcast. Blimey, does it feel like we've been doing this forever. But, hey, we're finally at episode 50. I mean, we have been doing it forever comparatively when you think that you know, it's taken us this long to get to 50 episodes because for the first year we did this, there was no hockey. It's fair point. <laughs> we've ra- we've, we've, we've raced from like... idea ep- was that? We've raced from like episode 20 to 50 in the same, in the same amount of time. So, yeah, uh, no, it's very true. Um, yeah, so we're here. Uh, the season is pretty much over and we had the Coventry finals weekend. Usually I'd say Tom talk us through the games, but I'm going to say Joe talk us through the results. There were games? I mean, I wasn't invited, so that's brilliant. Um, yeah, so Saturday, the first semi-final, as Ben again tries to throw me under the bus this week instead of Tom. You can tell it's his birthday, can't you, everybody? Uh, the first semi-final was the Telford Tigers, you know, going up against the streak that I mentioned last week of, you know, league champions not having won at Coventry. Could they do it? Could they... Insert word here. No, they could not. 3-1, they lose to the Sheffield Steel Dogs. Uh, it's just one of those games. You two are obviously there, so you'll know this better than me, but it felt like all Steel Dogs from everything I saw on Twitter. 2-0 up after the two periods. Goals from Lee Haywood in my fantasy team and Henry Adams in no one's fantasy team for the weekend. Gave the Dogs a 2-0 lead. The Tigers get eventually won back with a minute and 30 to go. Andy McKinney with the goal before Alex Graham also in my fantasy team, getting an empty netter. Thank you. You've saved me a lot of money on Saturday, lads. Uh, Brad Day, 20 saves on the night, 90.91 save percentage. The Demigod, because nobody gives him credit, 29 saves and 96.67 nights for him on a Saturday to put the Steel Dogs into the final on a Sunday. I'm not going to call them by the nickname I saw used on Twitter, which... Seems awful. Saturday night, the Peterborough Phantoms, five, Tom's favourite ice hockey team, six. This one, again, looking on from Twitter, because I wasn't paying £45 for four streams. Uh, looked like an absolute barn burner. It was 4-2 after... One after 16 and a half minutes. Goals coming from Jasper Foster, Corey McEwen... Alice Padlet, Petter Stepanek, before one who tries to tell me one of those goals is wrong. I'm literally going off what is on the game sheet. Uh, the goal for the Lightning at that point coming from Liam Stewart. And then the tie got turned on its head with the Lightning rattling off five. In, I would say unanswered, but that's wrong. They get the winner with five minutes to go. A power play goal from Timothy 
Wallace. Jordan Marr has a bad night by his standards, according to the stats. 22 saves, 78.57 save percentage. Matt Smittle somehow managing an even worse one. 17 saves for a 77.27 save percentage. Uh, Sunday, that takes us to the grand final, because I'm not going to bother with the north one, south one. Congratulations, Solway. Hooray. Uh, the Milton Keynes Lightning won, the Sheffield Steel Dogs four. Ben sits there rather smug, knowing that the Steel Dogs saved him a pound. Tom, not me, not so much. Uh, the Lightning, well, after the first period, it was 3-1 to the Dogs. The Lightning's only goal coming from Liam Stewart. Goals to the Steel Dogs coming from Sam Towner on nobody's team. Jason Hewitt, I believe, was on your team, Ben. And Matt Bissonette, also on Ben's team. Again, saving us money. And Tom, not so much. Bissonette gets the fourth and final goal at 30 and 16 seconds. Matt Smith still 87.1 save percentage. Dimitri Zamozdra, all hail the Demigod. 27 saves and 96.43 save percentage as the Sheffield Steel Dogs win in Coventry for the first time. And there's the roundup. Um, we're going to kind of take it through team by team from the final four shortly. Um, Tom, what was your thoughts on the Coventry weekend? It was good to be back. Yeah, it was. It was. And, you know, it was, I thought it was reasonably well attended. I don't know your view on that one, Ben, but from my opinion, I think the rig was probably 75, 80% full for, for it, I think. I, I don't know if that's from what you were there, but the pictures I have seen, it was come dressed as a blue seat night depending on what block you were in I think yeah the, the, the behind goal blocks were not well attended I think Basingstoke didn't seem to have too many there the kind of Solway well not Solway but the, that, those blocks around the back of the goal where the Phoenix used to sit were very um, much empty I thought the two sides weren't too bad from for, for most of the games, they were there were there were empty seats. It wasn't. They, they felt like they felt like there were patches where yeah. there were seats. It was really noticeable, like you said, particularly behind that one goal. Yeah, and in the two corner sides on that yeah. side as well. Yeah, but so, but given that, before, that's the last thing I could get to say on it. It was still probably better attended than a certain other playoffs were. Yeah, certainly in terms of percentage of um, tickets sold, and we'll I get think, to that later. Yeah, you look at our. I think he looks also Swind our second block, I think, was big and not full, which just definitely didn't help on that corner. I think you know you've you've got those blocks that used to be Manchester, it used to be Guildford, and those are two big fan bases that are kind of gone. So yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was that was the view on the intense. I mean the games, I thought three of the four games over the weekend were, were really good. I thought the first game wasn't the best. It was close. I don't think Telford will have been happy with their performance, to be honest. I thought Sheffield fairly, you know, were fairly controlling and Telford were pretty flat. Second game, as, you, as Joe says, was an absolute barn burner. I think, I think MK deserved it. I think they were the better side for the majority of the game. They got caught out by a shocking kind of five-minute period in the first where they just they, they almost blew their weekend in that first period, but they you know called them called themselves back and yeah Jordan Marr and Matt Smittle, but Jordan Marr wouldn't have been happy with his performance. Matt Smittle wouldn't have been happy letting the goals in that he did, and ultimately MK were able to score their way into the final. Uh, the Stratton Solway game, which we didn't mention again, congrats Solway on that one. Um, it was a decent game. I think Stratton obviously missed guys like Antonov, but I don't think that's necessarily an excuse for them. 
and certainly talking to a couple of Stratton fans, um, Chris Beale, a friend of the podcast, made the comment that you, you losing Van is obviously a key loss, but ultimately Solway came up with a game plan and beat them. Like Solway were much more, I felt Solway were much more drilled than Stratton. And they had that kind of structure there and Stratton just didn't have that. Um, so yeah, Solway I think deserved that one. And then yeah, the final, the final, I mean, for two periods, it was a really good game. Again, first period, MK didn't help themselves by getting themselves into a hole. And this time with Dimitri Zamostro on top for me, they couldn't outscore their way. And the third period was a bit, you know, pretty dull as a neutral. Uh, it was fun in terms of, you know, being able to mess around and chant and whatnot. But ultimately, Sheffield killed that game off in the third. And yeah, from 4-1, it never looked like MK were coming back. And I think over the course of the weekend, in my opinion, the Steel Dogs were the kind of deserving winners. They were the best team over the over that weekend. I think that's fair. I think the Steel Dogs were by far and away the best team I watched over the weekend of the well, six teams I saw. Um, like you said, congratulations to Solway. They they had their game plan in, in, in that in that final. But similarly, I thought the dogs had their game plan in their final. Um they they neutralized the the MK offense as much as they took their goals when they came and kind of sat on that lead. They I thought there were guys on that MK team on Sunday afternoon that were really quiet, and that was because of how they were defended against. Guys like Norris and Talbot and Leishram and Cowley, like they, they they were quiet. They didn't really do much. The the biggest for me, I think the biggest offensive threat all weekend for Milton Keynes is probably Liam Stewart. Um I thought Liam played really well. Um other guys on that Milton Keynes team I wasn't as impressed with as as compared to how I've seen them play throughout the season. But I don't think you can argue against the dogs. They were by far and away the best team. No, I mean, you're right. They came into that final, the dogs, with a game plan. And it was almost a very Peterborough-esque game plan. It's probably the sort of game that Slava Kubikov wanted to play against MK. But because they conceded some, also some really good goals, but also a couple of soft goals, they weren't able to. And they were forced into a bit of an end-to-end shootout sort of game with, with the Lightning. And, you know, the Lightning in that sort of, sort of game are better than the Phantoms. They have more offense and they are quicker in quicker um, overall. So yeah, I think the dogs just got the game plan spot on for the final and they executed well. And when you've got guys like Hewitt and Bissonette and Graham, you've got the offense to you know take those chances when they do come. And that's exactly what they did. Um, yeah. Yeah, we said we were gonna kind of break through it team by team. So Joe oh. just Oh, sorry, so one, of, one other thing I would say, because you know we were supporting that team over the weekend, was the, you know, I thought the officiating over the weekend was good. I don't think there were any major controversies. Well, let, let, they... let's 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 mention that bit first before we move on. There was a group of referees apparently doing the rounds at the uh, Sky Dome. Apparently, a few of them are rather inebriated. And and Fonzo, don't talk about the ones on the ice. <laughs> well, they may have been, but I don't think they were. Yes, um, I think yeah. It's always fun Coventry weekend, isn't it? I wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah, no comment. Um, but yeah, no. I, in, in all in all seriousness, like I did think, you know, the referees, the linesmen, the yeah, the officiating team did 
teams did a really good job. Um, there were no there were no big controversies in those games. There was nothing that I felt was game changing over the weekend that had to that was made any decisions that were made or had to be made that were game changing. And yeah, that's always that's always good for a playoff run because you don't necessarily want games to be decided based on you know a you know fifty fifty refereeing decision. No, absolutely. Um, no, like I just was just saying, we, we said we were going to break them down kind of team by team. So, Joe, let's start at the top. Let's start with the Steel Dogs. Uh, two trophies, successful year. Yeah, I mean, it probably comes off the back of the Spring Series. I mean, we took a we took the mick a little bit with the Spring Series run because obviously they had a lot of ringers in. Let's face it, if you bring Liam Kirk in and Jonathan Phillips, you deserve to win that series wholeheartedly. But we kind of said at the start of the year that it was going to be make or break and see if they had the depth of scoring and, you know, would players step up? So, I mean, if you look at the um, the regular season stats, obviously you've got guys like Jason Hewitt finished on 92 points, Matt Bissonnette, 76, Lee Bonner, 43. Alex Graham was a point and a half a game player when he was actually available for them, 30. And you just had a lot of depth scoring. I mean, you've got to go all the way down to Nathan Ripley, who was the last player to have double digits. So there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 13 players there on double digit points. And you need a solid enough outfit as a whole with that star quality laid in. And it just seemed when you got to towards the back end of the season, the dogs really got motoring as well. I mean, if you include the playoff run, or if you go from after, sorry, our, the, sem- the Cup semi-final against us, they then went on and won 10 of the last 22 games, I think that is. Um, dropped a couple, but they made sure to pick up overtime points, which is exactly what the Wildcats did at the start of the year and didn't. And it just seemed they got hot at the right time. And yeah, I mean, I've been saying it all year. All hail the Dimmy gods. I said it all year. I said it since you first brought me on the podcast way, 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 way back in like episode three that Dimitri Zamozdra was possibly the most underrated goalie in the league. Now he's got two trophies. Yeah. Yeah, can't argue with that. Like he, he's been really solid and kind of has probably backstopped that team. I think. We, we talk about the depth scoring on the Sheffield, and I think the big, I wouldn't say turning point, but the kind of big moment for them in the season in terms of that depth scoring was Alex Graham being squeezed out, first squeezed out by the import rules in the um, Canadian Hockey League with, at the Niagara Ice Dogs and coming back to the UK and then being a bit squeezed out by the Steelers. So, because I think everyone assumed if he came back from the Ice Dogs, he'd just be on the Steelers and the Steel Dogs wouldn't see him that much. But then, you know, the Steelers, you know, ended up, you know, Brandon Whistle played more for the Sheffield Steelers than you'd expect when we would have expected him to. And I think that was a big turning point for the Dogs to be getting Alex Graham most weekends for the second half of the season. It just gave them that little bit of extra firepower. And whatever you think about Alex Graham's performances as a Steel Dog, because I know there's been some mixed reviews and people have said he could have done better. He's come in and he's added to that line. It's allowed Lee Bonner to have some more scoring on his line. 
on the second unit. And yeah, I think it's just been, they've just got that balanced team and they've got a really solid defensive unit as well. So, say about the defensive unit, the penalty kill, they only gave up 27 power play goals the entire season and 83.54 regular season penalty kill percentage. And that was one of the things that we've said for years. It's, you know, you need a solid penalty kill and a power play that was hovering around 20% for the most of the year is what you need. And they, you look at the model that, you know, Telford had a few years ago, you needed a solid team with star players mixed in. Sheffield obviously have gone down that route. They had the solid team. They've got the star players mixed in with Hewitt and Bissonette. Now it's a case of can they build and go on from here or are they likely to lose some players with a certain team in the East Riding of Yorkshire coming in next year? More on that shortly. Tom? Yeah, uh, yeah. Say more on that shortly. I definitely think that we, we obviously didn't have quite the depth to go on a title run. We saw that they kind of had ups and downs over the year. But it was that roster that was built for when they got hot, when they got going. Um, they were going to win hockey games and they did at the big they, they did in the big moments and they had the experience with guys like Hewitt and Bissonette and Morgan and people who've been there and what done that and won trophies. They had that experience to go and win those big games at those big times. And they had some kind of breakthrough, breakthrough years from guys, you know, maybe not in terms of necessarily putting up huge numbers, but guys like Brady Doxy had a good year, added some depth to that third line, had some speed and hard work. And yeah, it was just a, generally just a, I feel like a really balanced team. And that's what, that's what was probably their most successful aspect when it came to the kind of cup and playoff run at the end they had at the end of the season was just that balance and everyone chipped in and everyone played their role. Yeah. So next on the list, the team they defeated in that final. Who wants to take the lead talking about Milton Keynes? They're not me. Is, is this going to be me? It doesn't have to be you. If you say shotgun, not you, I'll do it. Do you want to do it? Do you want to start and I'll chip in? Um, yeah, Milton Keynes. Uh, I don't think there's any way I can kind of sugarcoat this other than that was not a good year. Uh, for all the, the positives of making the Coventry final, and I understand uh, the effort, the commitment, and seeing all the, the Milton Keynes fans go back to Milton Keynes after the game and cheer the boys back on the ice and, and all that kind of thing. It was, it was good. But for me, and the way I sit and look at it, for that roster to make one final, not come into the top four and not win anything, I think when the dust settles and kind of the emotion of the end of the season passes, when you look back on that, I think it's a, it's a, it's a failure. It, it's, they, they should have been done more than that with the guys and not only the team they had, but the teams they players they added. They added, um, you know, Morgan Pizzo, Clark, Morgan Clark Pizzo, and Tim Wallace. And I feel like there's at least someone else. And Mikey Power came over as well, was the other guy. Um, they added the depth, they had the experience, they had the all star names, they, they kind of had everything. And it didn't happen for them. And I just think there's there's undoubtedly statistical reasons for that or things to look at, which I'm going to kind of hand over to Joe in a second. But ultimately, I think 
when the dust settles and you look back at this year, you kind of look at it and say, that that's under that's an underachieving team. Can, before we go, so can I can I chip in? But you know, and this you know, you don't please don't turn off no yeah. MK fans. Yeah, I'm not careful. The last time you chipped in, end badly for us. Yeah, no. So <laughs> yeah, it's not been a year a good year for them. You know, at best, I think making the commentary final on the Sunday. It is a it's a tick in the box, but it maybe if you were giving them a letter grade, does it take it the season higher than a C? I'm not sure it does. Um, we said at the start of the season this was an MK team that should be competing for a title. We said at the start of the season we didn't say they would win it. To be fair, we think we said they. I think we generally had a prediction they'd come about third, um, but they didn't. They did as I say they didn't come top four, which I think was disappointing for them. They didn't make it out of the group for the Autumn Cup. They blew a lead in the Cup semi-final. We said this at the start of the season, you look at the depth up front, do they have the players? They added to that. They added those players. So that's a tick in the recruitment box for Lewis, Griffith and co. There's no doubt that they were a better team with the additions of Mikey Power um, and Morgan Clark Pizzo, although I thought he was actually quite disappointing in MK. Um dropped off significantly from his role in Peterborough. And Tim Wallace, obviously. And Tim Wallace, I will I will give... There's been lots of jokes made by lots of us about Tim Wallace's role in MK, but there is no doubt that he was... That a, weekend. He was a big, big part of them making the final on Sunday. Through the playoffs, he has been arguably the guy who's led that team on the ice. You know, whether you make people make the jokes, let's take any kind of jokes out away from the curve about the coaching situation away. Like Lewis Clifford was the coach of that team. Tim Wallace stepped up to be that star import through the playoffs, which they needed him to be. And he's really helped that team get there, along with guys like Liam Stewart. Um we also said the other issue there was netminding. And I think Matt Smittle gets a rough ride from you know fans around the league, fans in MK, fans of other teams. He's not a bad netminder. I think he'll have been disappointed by some of his performances the second half of the season. I think he'll be disappointed by some of his performances in Coventry when the chips were down. I don't think he had the two best games of his career when he probably needed two of the best games of his career so far. But I would like to see him get a fair shot at kind of redemption, whether that's in MK or somewhere else in the National League. I hope he doesn't get you know, fired back down to South One because he's had a disappointing second half of the year kind of thing. I think there's enough talent on that Milton Keynes roster. They don't have to make wholesale massive changes over the off-season. I think there's perhaps needs to be a look at what went wrong because, as Ben says, they should have won a trophy this year, despite how competitive the National League is. They should have won a trophy with that team. But that's not to say that team can't come back and win a trophy next year. I think there needs to be tweaks. I think every team needs tweaks, but I think there does need to be some tweaks in MK about the way that roster is built and the way they that team plays. But yeah, I think it's a good team who had a at best okay season. Like, I don't think there was any point and I would understand that. Joe, stats time. <laughs> Yeah, I've got. Uh, I've got. I'm going to be careful with the way I phrase this because obviously I know you know I uh, don't want to come across as baiting our own Facebook group and then deleting stuff when 
and want to be taken seriously. Um, there was a run of two months. Well, there's a month either side of Christmas where the Lightning won 14 out of 18, picked up points in 16 out of 18, and lost two in regulation. And you could have genuinely made a case of this is this is the point where you know they're going to kick on here. This is it was it was scary. Like they were steamrolling teams. They're not. We're not talking like. The odd goal in five. We're talking blowing teams out of the water. I mean, like there's eight three wins, there's nine two wins, there's eight four wins in here. And then it there was a weekend against the Raiders where they've lost both games over the weekend. And it was like the wheels fell off. They went from a 17-6-2 record to finishing the season 25-19 and four. So what eight thirteen and two in the last back end of the season. And Again, they weren't losing games by the odd goal. They were getting blown out in them. Um, what he said about Matt Smith, I think, again, we've said it numerous times on here, that Smith was not the fault here. He showed it through the playoffs up until Coventry. I mean, you just have to look at that opening up of the playoffs, a shutout against the Leeds Knights, his first shutout for the Lightning. Like, bad goalies don't get shutouts in this league. You actually have to be a serious player to pull off something like that. And you look at his numbers and you go, yeah, an 883 save percentage, a goals against average just under four. It's it's not the greatest in the world. Yes, Tom. Right. I would also just say, um, Tom Spittle, he's not a bad goal. He hasn't had to go, those stats are not the greatest. I feel like as a defensive unit, and I'm sure you'll go on the defensive stats, you've got to know that you've got a young goalie in his first season as a start at this level. And at times particularly particularly on Saturday in Coventry, I felt that that unit just didn't consider what was behind them. And that's not a knock on Matt Smithle, but you can't go on five-man rushes and you're giving up loads of two-on-ones when you've got a young, inexperienced starter in that, in that situation. And I think that's the thing. Like Everyone seems to think that Matt Smithle is a lot older than he is because he has been around for... Almost a decade now. Was it 2015, I think he played his first game for the then Bracknell B, something like that. I'm fairly sure it was something around then. Uh, he's been at Swindon. He's been at Slough. Like, he's played a lot of hockey. So everyone just automatically thinks that well, he must be a starter. Like, he split time with Alex Metham in Bracknell. He went and joined Slough and played. And he basically joined Slough because it was the only way of guaranteeing starts. Let's face it, when he was in Swindon, he was the backup to Rennie. He got games, but he didn't get enough that he wanted. And I think the sort of fan base basically said the same thing. of just like, yeah, fair fair enough. You want to go be a starter? Go be a starter. And he was dominant with the Jets. And he shows, if you go back and watch, there's some games. Shameless plug for me here. Silent Devil's YouTube channel. Find the game against the Slough Jets from the spring series. It finishes 3-1. Matt Smith will stand on his head for 60 minutes. During that spring series, he had a save percentage of about 95. Yes, I know it's only six games, but it's still a 95 save percentage over a series where you had some serious players from the National League and South 1 playing in it. So he's not a bad goalie. Yes, the losses he's had have been horrendous at times, but some of the performances have been outstanding. And like you said, he just needs a defence in front of him. I would, I would hate it, absolutely hate it, if he is not back in Milton Keynes next year as the starter. Because obviously we now know that this new rule opens up import goalies as an opportunity. And MK, obviously, we know everyone jokes about the money side of it. They're the ones who could probably afford it. I wouldn't want that. Like, 
you've got no reason to go for an import goalie. There's bigger holes just in front of Matt Smittle that probably need an import more than the goalie position does. And you look at all the other things. So penalty kill. It talks about how good it was for the Steel Dogs. The Lightning gave up 50 power play goals this year. Worst penalty kill in the league, 72.22. Combined with one of the best power plays in the league at 23.21. So you dominant at one end of the ice, dog at the other end. And obviously some of that comes down to just the amount of games D-men missed. I don't think they had a single D-man, look, quickly looking through it, to play all 48 games, and they didn't. Ed Nags and Lee Jameson missed the least at two. Lewis Christie missed 10. Ross Green missed four. James Griffin missed 18. Ben Russell missed 12. Tyler Nixon, again, halfway, so I don't really count that, but he didn't play in 21. Sam Russell missed 28. Uh, Malik Martelli, son on two, I played in 16. Like, it's a decor that couldn't get settled. And obviously, we know the Lightning had issues with COVID at the start of the year. There was issues with the whole Liam Stewart suspension as well. But when he came back, he was lights out. And I think, obviously, yeah, Ben was right. You guys are right. Morgan Clark, Piers, I moved to Milton Keynes just seemed like overkill. Because let's face it, at the time they signed Clark, Piers, offense wasn't the problem for the Lightning. You were essentially going for depth scoring and Morgan Clark Pizzo didn't do it. The reason he was so effective in Peterborough was he was given lots of ice time and just the ability to go, right, here's the puck, off you go, lad, have fun. And it almost felt like he didn't have that in Milton Keynes. I mean, you look at it, three points in 14 games in the regular season when he signed there. And you just look at all that offensive talent. You look at like Chamberlain, 78 points. Talbot, 69 points. Norris, 68 points. Stewart, 61 points. Russ Cowley, 46 points. Lashram picked up at the end, 38 points. Offense wasn't the problem, but the defense was. And we've always had it, said it before for the longest time with the Wildcats. It always felt like the games were, we're going to score one more than you. We've got Nell and Hook. That'll do. And that's what it kind of felt at times with the Lightning this year, just... It never seemed to work out that way. So if you're the Lightning, when you're looking at the off-season, you're thinking, do we need to either get better at def- in defence or do we need to just get fitter? Because let's face it, you keep the majority of that roster around. There are rumours of a couple of guys who are leaving. Again, East Riding of Yorkshire, a couple of other places as well. Like, I don't think... In- if you can t- keep that top six, well, the majority of that top six, let's face it, if you can keep... Talbot, Norris, Stewart, Chamberlain at a push, Cowley, if Tim Wallace wants to run it back again. Again, that's already a team that's near the top of the table. It's as, just fixing holes. Yeah, as you say, you know, you also got in that team, Blaisham <laughs> picked up second half of the year as he kind of got up to speed with the league. Um, I thought Barnes Garner had a decent year. He's kind of a useful depth forward who has a role uh, has a role offensively now that she perhaps didn't have before. So there's offense there. I don't think the Lightning D is bad. Uh, yes, they they miss a lot of they miss they had guys who miss a lot of time. Losing James Griffin is huge for that matter. For that matter, I didn't realize he missed quite so many games. I knew Sam Russell had spent a lot of time either injured or up in Coventry, so that makes sense. But you know you've got a D as you say you've got those guys there. Ross Green I thought had a really good year. All jokes about his you know warm up routines aside. Ross Green had a solid season on that back end. Ed Nags is a solid D-man. Lee Jameson's probably come to the back end of his career, but he's a solid D-man still. 
Although perhaps maybe you need to put him with a quicker guy than they sometimes paired him with, which I don't think helps JMO that he's not got the wheels he used to have. Milik Martelli came in and helped out and you know doesn't look out of place even at 17 in the National League. So you've got guys there. I think, as you say, it's fitness, it's getting the guys on the ice. I think there is still, a, if there was one, if I was coaching the Lightning, I'm not a hockey coach, but if I was coaching the Lightning, I would look at the strategy at the, on D at times. I feel sometimes the D-men are too quick to jump up without, you know, considering the situation. And you end up with some, they, they, guys like Griffin carry the puck so well that they're gone before, they're gone, they're gone up ice before the rest of the team can catch up with them and suddenly the puck gets turned over and you're coming back with no cover. That's potentially where they get caught out. But yeah, I think they had a, it's a disappointing season, but you can't say MK are going bad next year. They're going to, I would put, I would put my cards on the table now and say MK will win a trophy next year. I really think they will. I don't think they're going to go two years with any, if they've got anywhere near a similar roster, the next year that they had this year, I don't think they're going to go two years in a row with that team without winning something. Fair enough. Um, oh, right. me, that's the nicest thing that I can, that's, that's, that's probably not the most generous compliment they could get. You, anyway. Mm. Yeah, definitely from you. Um, it's only fair at this point to then say, let's talk about the league champions. May not have had a much of an impact in Coventry. But Telford Tigers. Yeah, the Tigers playoff curse bit them hard again, I guess, is the way of looking at it. Um, not only is it the Champions playoff curse, it does feel like the, Tel- the Tigers Coventry curse. Um, they've been there a few times in the last six, seven years and have not won it once. So, yeah, it hit back, but... They've won the league. What more can you say? That's a successful season. We said at the start of the year they were the favourites. They were coming in as the defending champions. There was no reason to think that they weren't going to be up there, there or thereabouts again. And already they were the most consistent team over the course of the season. There's so much experience on that roster. And in Tom Watkins, they've got a good coach who kind of gets his systems down. We talk about, you know, Slava Kulikov having systems. Tom Watkins is saying it's the same. He gets his team to play a certain way and it works for them. And yeah, you know, Jonathan Weaver had a resurgent year after, you know, having injury problems in the seasons before COVID. He was back to, he wasn't back to his best. That's that, that would be unfair on how good Jonathan Weaver was in his prime, but he was back to Jonathan Weaver now. And that is still a top D man in this league. You know, they had offense out their ears. They had solid net minding from Brad Day throughout the course of the year. They added Bailey Harewood, which obviously they added that with Vladimir Luka kind of in the kind of first half of the season. They added Bailey Harewood to the run in the second half of the season. And yeah, they were just the best team. Like I said, it didn't work out for them in Coventry, but they were the best team for 48 games and deservedly won a title. I don't think there's any more that I can really say on that front. <laughs> oh, they, um, it was, it was streaks, obviously, we said it before, if you get hot streaks, then you're fine. You just have to look back. You go, start of the season, the very first month of the league campaign, it's seven, win, seven wins in a row. You fast forward to November through to January, and there's a run of picking up 11 out of 13. You then look towards the back end of the season where 
you know, effectively, it was the dagger in the Wildcats' hopes, was winning nine of the last 13 as well. Like, that's what they need to be. They needed to be, like Tom said, a level of consistency, and that's what they found. And you you look down the roster, and again, it's, it's named, much like with Sheffield, it's a squad put together with a couple of stars mixed in who just get on and do their jobs. They get a lot of depth scoring, more so than anybody else. Again, was it every single player apart from the goalies who played more than one game or more, I'm sorry, more than five games scored. Like that's something not a lot of teams can say they've had this year. You look at players like Scott McKenzie, 77 points, Vladimir Luka, who turned up after the first two months of the season, turns up 54, 54 points, 31 of those are goals as well. Uh, Jason Silverthorne, a bit of a down year, I would say, 53 points, but then I think his role more or less changed in that Tigers team than it was a few years ago. Jack Hopkins, like debut season at this level, hit the ground running. Be amazed if he's still here next year, 49 points. Um, and then, yeah, you've got Weaver, Mitchell King, Howells, Ricky Plant, all with 30 points. Andy McKinney, Corey Goodison, Danny Rose with 20. Bailey Harewood, Joe Aston, Sam Hopkins, Brady Jess, and Tom McKinnon, all in double figures. I'm like, that's how you win a league title. You get scoring from everywhere. And again, if you can have three D-men who can score you 25 points in a season, there's your answer right there. You look at some teams, they don't even have one. No name is mentioned. Swindon. Um, it's just one of those things. And obviously when you've got Brad Day at the back, you're gonna, you've got a chance to win every night. Uh, 90.7 save percentage for the regular season, 292 goals against average and two shutouts. The only thing I will be worried about is 2,600 minutes played. That's an awful lot of pressure on one player to stay fit for the entire season. The back end of the Autumn Cup and regular season where he missed a few games and the, Telf- and the Tigers had a little wobble that kind of show why he is such a big part of that team. But no, again, we said it at the start of the year, they were the favourites. They were probably the team to beat. And they were the team to beat. And the answer is, could anyone do it? Nope. No, absolutely. Um, So the last team from Coventry, then obviously, Joe, Peterborough. A team that had a real rough start to the season I think was it Luz lost the first eight games or something was it was it that high I can't remember rolling down uh, they lost the lost the first six in the league lost the first six eight, six league games and it kind of just felt like they were building up for the playoffs from probably about Christmas onwards and it didn't really kind of click in Coventry defensively as you would probably expect a Slava Kulikov team to do so. Yeah, I mean, like you say, the run before Christmas, they were 7-10-1. On they, you, you talk failure to launch. It's probably the hardest one we've seen for a few years now of a team, other than Basingstoke, just failing to get off the ground running. But then they go and collect 18 wins after Christmas. And again, a team that got on a few streaks in the back end as well. You're talking a six-game win streak around January where they only dropped two games. And then at the end of the season, I mean, you look from the start of March onwards, they won eight and lost two. Like, that's hitting form at the right time. And that's something we've seen Phantoms teams do in the past, again, usually to Swindon. Um, the quarterfinal group, again, 
like for the first two weekends, there was probably a little bit of a wobble. You know, you go into it two and two, but again, you come out and finish the job against the eventual playoff champions. You got to be happy with that. Um, when you look at the scoring, again, another team that suffered with injuries in parts and places. You look at Glenn Billing, 63 points, great season. Alice Padalek at age 312, getting 61 points. Duncan Spears, again, something we called out way back at the start of the year that he was the make or break. 55 points, 29 goals. That's more than job done from him. Tom Norton, 41 points, another person that Tom has kind of had a fight with this year. Again, proving point, D-men with more than 25 points tend to help you get to Coventry. And they had two. Callum Buglis, former Wildcat, 26 points. Um, six of those goals, I think, was more than both the seasons he had in Swindon combined. Um, Petr Stepanek, obviously, coming back in January at a point again, just helps with the depth as well. And again, you look at a lot of depth scoring. Players like Nathan Pollard, Scott Robson, Brad Barring, Jarvis Hunt, Jasper Foster, who was a complete unknown going into the season, ends up with 15 points in the regular season. Corey McEwen was probably the big miss for them. Obviously, he missed 19 games this year through injury. Um, never really seemed to get going at all. Hopefully, he'll have a complete off-season. He can get back to fitness and we'll be back to the annoying Corey McEwen we all love to hate at this point. But again, you just look at what they did. They were very solid defensively the back end of the year. The penalty kill, again, only gave up 27 goals the entire season, 82.58%. They scored 48 goals on the power play, 24.74. And they got some good net mining out of Jordan Marr. Obviously, they just didn't get one game more out of Jordan Marr than they probably wanted. Um, a 90.2 save percentage, 305 goals against average, two shutouts in regular season play. It, it felt like they said it was just sort of one game too far. They kind of blew their load in the first period of that semi-final, and when MK started coming back, didn't really have a reply. Yeah, I mean, to kind of tail, to kind of tail onto what Ben said about you know them being ready or starting to tune up to the playoffs on Christmas, I'd, I'd go further. I'd say probably they were looking at the playoffs from about Halloween because you look at it; they were out of the Autumn Cup, they were nailed to the bottom of the table by the end of October. They, which pretty much put them not out, but almost out of the running for a league, t- a genuine league title campaign. That was obviously because of the home away cup games that put them out of the national cup. They were effectively playoffs or bust after that 0 6 start of the season. And let's be honest, we've always said Peter were a playoff team under Simon Cup, and that's exactly what he put together. That's exactly what he put together was a team that would have a go in the playoffs. Um, Petr Stepanek came back in, as I mentioned. Not the force, in my opinion, that he used to be, but still a quality, quality player. Alex Padalek still doing it at, you know, 43, I think he is now. 42, 43. Alex Padalek still putting up the points, still got the... 312. Yeah, he's still putting up... He's still, cap- still a really good forward in this league. I think it's a testament to you never lose the quality. Um, Duncan Spears had a good year for them, was a big player. Nathan Salem came back from a difficult in Sheffield and fitted right back in. Jasper Foster, as we said, was one of the finds of the season in terms of just being a useful pickup because this was a guy who was 
not even a star in the Wildcats 2 team. When you look at the guys on that team who were putting up the points, you Sayers, Warrens, Lipsies. Jasper Foster was like a second-line guy on an NIHL2 Wildcats team. I think he probably benefited from Morgan Clark Pizzo leaving. Like it created so. a gap in that top six for someone, and Slava's kind of just gone, uh, yeah, your turn. Yeah, and he's hit the ground and smashed it. And the other thing I noticed from the week from Coventry weekend was it wasn't just even handed where Jasper Foster was getting his ice time, he was out on the top power play unit. Yeah, he could he can shoot the puck. I think that's a key point. He's he's got an underratedly good wrist shot and he's quick. And those are two things for Britain in this league that you're going to get success if you can use both of those effectively. And Jasper, over the course of the season, has learned how to use that effectively. And it's, again, testament to Slava Kudakov's recruitment and coaching that he's found a bit of a rough diamond like that and has turned him into a player. Like, that. that's, you know, I don't think, I don't think many people in the league were expecting a lot when they signed him. Oh, I mean, he came out of the Swindon system and I... And I must confess, I didn't know an awful lot about him beyond the name and the fact that he played on our NHL two team. He's 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 been a good he's been a good find and yeah, it's been a good season. Obviously, you know, I've also mentioned Callum Bugas. I think he got a first team All Star selection this year. Again, that's testament to how how well he's improved at both ends of the arch. Yeah, he's putting up points, but he's also probably their most solid defensive minded D man. Probably Scott Robson up there as well. When you look at Tom Norton being the kind of the more the power play quarterback on that team, the kind of offensive guy, Callum has become a really mature two-way D man who can skate well. He's got, obviously got such a long reach. Um, yeah, so yeah, a good season, a good season for Peterborough. Ultimately, again, making finals weekend makes that season somewhat more successful than it probably would have been if they hadn't, because if they if they had a bad bad spell in the playoff group. They'd have probably been a bit disappointed having, you know, only come sixth from the table. It would have been a bit of a, well, it's okay, but nothing special. But yeah, Slava Kukov gets the best out of his group once again. Very much so. Anything else on to add on any of those four teams before we kind of move on? Nope. I was just going to say, if you're a fan of any of the other teams who are listening to this and you're wondering where your versions of this are coming... Uh, episode 52, we're doing the four teams that didn't make Coventry. That would be the Bison, the Bees, the Knights, and the Raiders. And episode 51 is a special one, just doing the Swindon Wildcats. And Ben, I think someone's coming on to talk about it. Yeah, all being well, it will be the three of us, and uh, Aaron's going to join us as well. And we'll talk pretty much, that episode will be pretty much just focused on the Cats and the end of season awards as well, which is happening at the end of this week as well. But yes, episode 51, all being well, touch wood, should be us and Aaron. I was going to say, this is this is the Wildcats, this is a Wildcats podcast, and this is one of those weird episodes where we barely mention the Swindon Wildcats, and we are barely going to for the remainder of this episode. <laughs> there was your one Wildcats bit there, fans, you can turn off now. <laughs> yep. Um... So, a couple of other little bits of news to talk about before we discuss how uh, much money we've all lost over the course of the season. Um, we touched on it last week, but we actually have an official confirmation now. The Hull Seahawks. Who? Hull Seahawks. Hull Seahawks. 
Yeah, it's going to be... I mean, I think they also kind of said that it's going to be an 11-team league next year, which uh, is also rather interesting, with a 12-team possibly joining the year after. So, who knows where we're going with us? But again, it's just nice to see Hull back. I'm looking forward to having a Yorkshire-based road trip with Sheffield and Leeds and all thrown in. Please, 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 please. Yeah, please, everyone, just someone be nice enough to do it. Yeah. Give, us, um, give us that NIHL schedule. The roster, the roster obviously will be the most interesting part because they're going to essentially harvest players from all those other teams up north and potentially from North 1 as well. Like Give that, some of them a shot if they want it. It's going to be interesting to see what the makeup is because you, you want them to be competitive. You don't want them to be, you know, steamrolled too easy. You want them to actually be something that the people of Hull can go and support. I mean, from the trip we made up there when the Pirates were not so good the year we went there. Like, they will get out and support that team. And that's something that needs to be done. They just need to put a good, on-ice product and preferably either not those horrid lime green (laughs) shirts but not those grey black logo one that we've seen already. I was going to say, new colour scheme, please. New colour scheme. Um, Bring the Stingrays colour scheme back. That one I liked. The Stingrays one was good. Yeah. With, I think with how I think they're going to be competitive because I think there's so many... I think you could go down... Remember when the Steel Dogs had the Made in Sheffield mantra under Andre Payet and it was the official, it was almost a policy that they wouldn't sign any Brits outside of Sheffield? You could almost do that in Hull. I don't think they'll go quite down that route. I think Matthew Davies has got enough contact in the game that he can go outside of that. No, but it is a very good start. That's, it's it's something that's been used before. There's um there's a brilliant 30 for 30 documentary about the University of Miami football team where they basically circled like the southern part of Florida and call it the state of Miami. Yeah. And they'd only get them from that area. If you could do something like that and similar, it's not seriously you can't attract players from other parts of the country, but it would it's a hell of a good start if you can attract everyone back to home. I mean, I mean, you look at the guys available. Obviously, Davis is pretty much well, he is confirmed. He's part of the ownership group. Um, he's he's confirmed, but you've got, you know, on defensively, you've got guys like Balmer, Chilcott, um, Davy Phillips, I've seen rumoured as a potential. And I think that will happen maybe not this year, but one day. Kevin. One day. I don't Kevin, Kevin Phillips, yeah, exactly. There's there's guys back there. You look up front, obviously, Hull, Lee Bonner, um, Jordan Fisher, Bobby Chamberlain. There's loads of guys, loads and loads of guys with Hull links who could be who could be tempted back. There's loads of guys in the north of England in general who could be tempted to um well. Davis has got 90 no, days. Just the way that you said that, you just said the way you, you kind of made it sound like there's loads of people in the north of England. Yeah. Yes, there is. Any, yeah, specifically hockey players in the north of England. I, I just think there's enough result that Matty Davis has been around so long and has been played for a number of teams. And he's going to have, he's probably, I imagine he's going to be the one doing the recruiting and he's going to have those contacts around to build a strong team. You've, net minding will be the interesting area because there's no one who jumps out to me as being the local guy who they could nest well there is but he's not going to be the one me? um there's there's no there's no there's no obvious you know davies type guy in net who is your star outstanding netminder with a whole link that will be where they have to look 
it's probably the one team that kind of leaps out of say import goalie right now. They've done it before. They did it in the EPL. It's obviously hard to do it in a two-import league, but they did it in the EPL. It wouldn't shock me if they went back down that route. They were the team, obviously, who discovered guy a, a guy like John Baston. Once upon a time, they brought in a well, a, a veritable parade of import netminders over the years. Uh, the the ones we're looking for are Martins Wrightums and Vlastimil Lacassil. Yeah, yeah, Vlastimil, uh, the Lacassil, all hail the Lacassil. Um, <laughs> But it was, it was, yeah. I believe, and again, I'm going to take a 50p if I'm wrong here, but you've also both forgotten Thomas Fuchik. Thomas Fuchik as well, yeah. The, the one team in the... I haven't got the North one yet. The one the one team in the NIHL era to run the import netminder from the old EPL teams. Uh, didn't, it wasn't a successful experiment, but I think that was more the personality they brought in rather than the play of Thomas Fuchik. Um yeah, I think they're going to be competitive. Obviously, they might not have a championship-winning roster off the bat. It depends on what, who is available, who who of the whole base players Matty Davis is able to get back. But yeah, they should be competitive. That ring could be busy. I think having a guy like Davis in the ownership group will help get the fans through the door. Knowing you've got a local a local guy who really knows, or or two, I think both the announced owners. I think there's three owners in the group, but both of the guys who've kind of publicly talked about it are guys with deep rooted links to Hull Ice Hockey. So, yeah, I think it's a real positive. It's a real positive. And I like the fact they've brought back the original name. Um, yeah, like I say, maybe change the colour scheme up. But I like the fact they've brought the original name. I think there's, that's, that, again, will help to attract some fans in, you know, potentially from the older eras. Yep, I'm looking forward to seeing the logo on that because that could be quite fun. Yeah, and I'm also looking forward to going back to the most versatile arena. It's very versatile, and chip spice. Yeah, absolutely. You um, get it, Tom. You're from the north. <laughs> and because I'd done this completely deliberately to go from the most versatile arena to arguably the most least versatile, <laughs> <laughs> least versatile arena. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, the news out of Basingstoke this week. Yeah, I... Again, this is probably me just showing that, you know, I never went to university and I haven't got a degree or anything like that. But that just felt like a whole load of hot air to me. Like, it, the basic gist of it I got was that Planet Ice was essentially brought the lease back. And that's it. There was no promises that they're going to renovate the rink or anything like that, which everyone seems to have, you know, jumped to. But I'd, I could be wrong. I probably am wrong. But that felt like a whole load of nothing, really, to me. I think I think them owning the lease takes out a hurdle that there's been. It's I don't fully understand the legal situation in Basingstoke. Um, with that ring. Obviously, there's been that, a whole three-party issue between Planet Ice, the local council, and the current holders of the lease on what can and can't be done, who's paying for what. And I think I, Planet Ice having the lease simply simplifies that argument. It gives motivation for Planet Ice to do more because it's their site. And it gives the council an opportunity, I think, to press Planet Ice more. Because 
it's their site. So I think I mean, it, any any news like that is positive. I don't know how positive because I'm I'm on the same page as you, Joe. I I don't fully understand exactly what the implications are. I'd like to think that if Planet Ice is spending money buying a lease to a building, they're going to then put some money into the building to keep it running. Let, not let's not forget this also comes off the back of the announcement that they are sponsoring the National League oh, yeah. for the next three years. Again, and again, there's. I feel like that is also also hopefully a positive for the future of Basingstoke because if you're sponsoring the league, you want as many teams in the league that play out of your rings. <laughs> and on, on the back of that, uh, the league announcement, obviously, which was confirmed over the Coventry weekend, Good luck trying to shorten the league name because if my maths is right, it's the P I N I H L M. N I H L M. Yeah, Planet Ice National. Yeah, it'd be the P I N I H L N L. Yes. Yeah. P I N I H L N L. That's going to be brilliant. Next year, we'll just call, start calling it the Piddle Mill. The Piddle Mill. <laughs> yeah, we joked about a couple of years ago about the Phil uh, being a league. <laughs> The, the short-lived Phil. Oh, it's the Pinnell Nil. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's good for the league to get that sponsor. Um, I, the interesting line that I saw from that uh, press release was the fact of it's a three-year commitment, but if somebody else comes through in three years, then Planet Ice will step aside. Um, so I do wonder how much of it is more of a formality tick box rather than anything major changing. I feel um, like it's a placeholder for some for hope for the. I feel like it's a placeholder for the league to go out and find a proper sponsor who, and I don't want to cast aspersion on my eyes, maybe spend more money on the sponsorship. I feel like that is a. I get from the announcement and the way that it was worded and the fact that Planet Ice were willing to drop the sponsorship if someone something else came along. I get the feeling that the league have been looking for a sponsor. Planet Ice were willing to put some money in to take it temporarily. But there's, you know, still there's still work going on to find a full time or a longer term option for that. There's WWE. My God, that's Wayne Scott's music. <laughs> yep. Let's um, hope it doesn't come back to that again. Right. Shall we move on from the least versatile rink to the least filled rink? <laughs> if you would like. Um. The Elite League player finals were the same weekend. Uh, the Cardiff Devils killed Belfast Giant, Belfast Giants' chance of a Grand Slam to a chorus of well, mild applause from all four people and the dog that were there on the weekend. Um, again, I've seen photos of it. That place was dead. It's yeah. almost as if a £110 ticket was a really bad idea. It, it certainly looks, I must admit, from what I've seen, it certainly looked worse than the Coventry weekend in terms of, again, there's probably more there than the Coventry weekend, but the NIC is a much bigger venue than Skydome. Percentage of ticket sale-wise, it didn't go well for the Elite League. Uh, I, I will point this out now, that the playoff, semi-final and final are the only three games on the Elite League website to not feature an attendance figure. Every other game has an attendance figure attached to see it. They are the only three that don't. That says it all, really. Um... I think the exact quote that obviously Dave Sims found, because obviously someone questioned him about it and said that uh, lessons have been learned. Wait, we'll wait find and out. see, shall we? We'll find out. That, I mean, on the, the off-ice product of the way, because I think a lot has been conversation everywhere, and I think 
it's clear what went wrong in terms of ticket sales. Uh, price is too high. Sheffield and Nottingham not getting there, which was I seem to be that seems to be the plan for the elite league was just hope that Sheffield and Nottingham qualify for the finals and it would bail out the ticket prices with sales in the last week, which didn't happen. Lack, lack of concessions, lack of day tickets, just generally, generally not good. Um, in terms of the on ice, Brody Dupont really couldn't have made a better case for him to get that job full time, could he? Let's Absolutely. let's be honest. Um, we we all kind of sat there very confused about a month ago when they announced the, the immediate departure of Jared Scaldi and the appointment of Brody Dupont as interim coach about two weeks before the playoffs. And everyone was like, we were all like timing. But I mean, Todd Cowan once again got it right. <laughs> there is, if there is a man that doesn't appear to get much wrong in British hockey, it's probably Todd Cowan. Yeah, like in terms of in terms of running his team, he, he's, he's he's been pretty spot on for for years and years. There's a lot of rumours about the Cardiff now trying to get the band back together. But if they need a coach, like I say, Brody Dupont has got to be at least get himself an interview now. He's, he's got to get himself an interview. He might not be the he might not want it long term. He might they might want someone with more experience. But does it not give you shades of Andrew Lord? Kind of forward at the back end of his career, comes in, yeah. does well off the bat. I'm not saying he's going to be Andrew Lord 2.0, but they in my mind, that's maybe what happens. You mean to say you just made a, a subtle joke about it being the second coming of our Lord and Saviour? <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Something like that. But yes, folks, and again, jokes don't yeah. get any better on the Wildcast. And again, no. he didn't play a lot of games this year due to injury. Would it be the time that he might say, "Well, time to go behind the bench"? <laughs> I'm not. I'm not saying. I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I don't know who the candidates are in Cardiff. I don't know what what's going on. I don't know enough about what's going on there. But yeah, as a neutral looking at that, I have to say Rudy Dupont has given himself as good a shot as any anyone to get that job. Um again, much like you know the NIHL with you know Hull coming up and all this talk about maybe there being a tour team. It's nice to see the Elite League is also going for the nuclear option this year. We've got Cardiff I've got a coach Omar Pash has left Dundee, rumoured to be at Nottingham. That's been confirmed during this recording. I've, I had Fantastic. Seen... Brilliant. Always prepared me. Dundee, rumoured to be getting Jeff Mason from Belfast. Adam Keith apparently, might be off to Toronto. Uh, if only he had if, no idea why he'd go to the Marlies. Like, <laughs> like there's a link there but in that organisation if it happens. But again, why can't British hockey just have a normal <laughs> summer? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean... He's certainly having a year of a number of coaching changes in the Elite League, which isn't usual, to be honest. When you consider you've got, at the very least, Dundee getting a new coach, Nottingham getting a new coach. That, could, again, could be Mark Matterson, but you'd imagine Pasha will want to bring his own person, own man in. Cardiff getting a new coach could be Brody Dupont, could be someone else. Rumour. It's another rumour one. Man. man Fife is another one that's Fife been is another one that's been quite strongly rumoured that there may be change there. So yeah, it's it's and it's you were gonna say it, but you forgot again. So Manchester. Manchester, I couldn't remember if I'd already said it or not. Bad, sorry. Manchester obviously with Ryan Finity moving up to the GM role. I mean the talk there is the retirement and promotion of Matt Ginn to head coach, which would be an interesting move. 
again, if you've got a guy like Finity there, having a rookie coach isn't maybe the worst thing because you've at least got someone in that GM role who can be a bit of a, a bit of a guide and a bit of a sounding board. You're not going rookie coach with no experience and then GM with no experience, which let's be honest, it's kind of what the Panthers did and it backfired. Tim Wallace had one year of coaching experience. Guiduset had no GM experience and it just didn't work out in the end. So at least with Manchester, you've got a guy who's got the experience if they do go down that route of bringing in a first-time head coach. And same with Cardiff, you've got Todd Kalman in place if you do go down the route of giving it to DuPont full-time. So yeah, interesting, interesting summer ahead for the Elite League. Yeah, when we do that, when we do our episodes over the summer, we're gonna have tons to talk about, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Men- mentioning, yeah. Sorry, I I did happen to see a tweet when I was looking for something else um, that Pasha has been confirmed as the CEO of the Nottingham Panthers. I haven't read the article. I don't know exactly what that role entails, but I would imagine it's a all-encompassing off-ice role that kind the of operations. Yeah, I would imagine it kind of. My kind of assumption would be that it kind of covers the roles that were, you know, sadly, sadly um, left by the passing of Gary Moran early in the year. Rumour potentially some of Neil Black's role because he's going to be taking a more direct role in, in Glasgow and also um, that obviously of Guy Doucette, who, was a, who obviously was uh, fired at the end of the season to make way for, you know, a clean hat slate for Omar Pasha, so... Yep, needless to say, I, whilst we were talking there, I just thought I'd load up the press release. And yeah, the newly created role will allow Omar to oversee both off-ice and on-ice activities, yeah. including the appointment of a new head coach. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, I mean it's a, he's a guy who's been linked to, you know, arena teams for a long time. It's, I think, a move that he's worked hard for. And he's done a great job up in Dundee. So yeah, good luck. Good luck to him. He's done a good job everywhere he's been. Yeah. Uh, Manchester. Yeah. The... yeah. Good. He's a, he's a, he's been, he's, he's been a kind of long, he's, he's been a long time guy in the league. I forget he's in Hull. I, I, gen, I forget he was in Hull before we went to the storm. Um, like he's a guy who's been around a long time and yeah. Yeah. Good luck to him. Absolutely. And looking at this little list I've got in front of me, the only thing that's left for me to say right now is time to hand over to the bank manager. Yes, the bank of fines. We open it up for the last time and we reveal all before, you know, I get to pass it back over to Ben and we make it sound like we're good. So, uh, I'm not going to go into too much gory detail on everything because, you know, it's... We'll we're, be here we're for a year. Charity. We'll be here for a year. I've, I've had a, you know, a note section going through all of our fines. So I'll just read off some of the highlights when we get to them. Obviously, there were some from Coventry this uh, past weekend. Um and we're horrible people, as many of you have probably noticed over the last few months of listening to us. So we, of course, find our friends who are in attendance. Um, the head referee from the Coventry weekend was fined 50p because he was the only referee that wore a long sleeve shirt. You know, we get we get brutal for around the end of the season. Like, you don't want to be making a mistake. I mean, I cost myself two quid by misspelling things on WhatsApp. That's how bad it gets. Uh Scratch, Scratch was a very naughty kitty over the weekend. He got 50p for, uh, and I quote, going back to bed on Sunday for a nap because he was hungover. (laughs) Which is amazing considering Tom drank just as much as Scratch did and Tom was, and I quote, 
feeling fresh as a daisy. Yeah, I was fine. I, surprisingly, I was fine on Saturday, on Sunday morning. So yeah. Uh, our good friend Chris Beale, uh, you may know him on Twitter, too, for flinching, uh, the Streatham Redhawks, usual Twitterer, alongside David Carr. Uh, he got fined £1.50 for various, various grievances over the weekend. Uh, again, Chris, being a good sport, knew it was a charity and donated. Uh, another one of our listeners, Anthony Russell, you know, banners on the wall. He decided to pay a different fine for himself, but I'm going to enjoy add it onto this anyway. He, live-tweeting from his Banners on the Wall account, put the score up wrong when the Phantom scored, saying it was 5-4, when it was actually 5-5. I only find him 50p, uh, but he decided to donate £5 instead. So one for every goal that was scored, I guess. Um, Anthony, I know you probably aren't going to include it on this, but I do what I like. It's our podcast. And then we come on to us three. I my my possible highlight of the year was obviously I got fined five quid for not going to Coventry. Uh, yep, that was the maximum one I got. Um, that put me again. I'm I'm usually a good boy. Like Ben and Tom basically spent the entire year grassing on each other to me to get each other fined. Uh, ben, obviously, your highlight of the year was going to Coventry when you told us you weren't going to a hockey game. That got you fined a severe amount. Yeah, and then there's the bespectacled one, the birthday boy himself, the birthday boy himself who spent the entire year trying to get us cancelled in various ways. <laughs> there was your war with Milton Keynes. Mm-hmm. There was your war with the Arizona Coyotes. Mm-hmm. There was your minor battle with Tom Norton's misses at one point as well. I would- I would argue that that was that, that was in no way, you know. As you much can as argue as much as, as, as you want. I'll find my friend. I was not the aggressor in that one, but yes, um, I'll accept the fines for it anyway. So, so, it doesn't probably take a genius to work out which one of the three of us has donated the most money here. Um, and then we come to Coventry, which was the final add-up, as it were, our Coventry fantasy teams, where you know if the player didn't do anything or got a penalty or the team lost, you were fined. Uh, I was added on £5.50 because most of my team scored, thankfully enough. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Dimitri Zabozda. You saved me money there. Ben was fined £6, again, for most of his team scoring. The odd penalty here and there and picking the Sheffield Steel Dogs to win. Cheers, Woody. And then there's the bespectacled one again. Who It was about this time last week when we said if anyone was likely to get fined £10, it was probably going to be Tom. Tom, how much did you get fined? Uh, I, I can't remember off the top of my head. Was it nine pound? So it was quite, nine. <laughs> I didn't quite hit the big the big one zero on that one. It was nine pound. Glenn Billings, the only player you picked to not get you fined. Uh, James it's Griffin, Glenn. Lee Bonner, and Ross Green really hate. Oh, and Jason Silverthorne, sorry, they really hated you. They combined for a fiver. Cheers, lads. So after all of that. And all of the year, and obviously at some point in the next day or so, Ben is going to have to send me his bank account details so I can forward him over some money. Uh, overall, including our fines and the fines we gave our friends over the weekend, we've raised £140. And I believe, again, this is the part where I pass over to Ben to tell you where it's going. Yeah, we've kind of spoken about it. Um, and 
we were kind of unanimous, unanimously agreed, really. Um, it's going to be going to the Mind Charity. Uh, so for all the work they do with, with mental health, etc. Um, I believe, and I I could be wrong on this, but there it's also that's kind of part of uh, Stevie Whitfield's testimonial this weekend. So I will have a conversation with Stevie um, and we'll get something sorted. But yeah, it will be going to mine. So 140 quid over the course of the year, considering how much we've kind of all screwed up. Part of me thought it was going to be worse. Oh, don't worry. More so than others. It will be. <laughs> oh, it will be next year. And I'm also intrigued. If I don't know if Joe's got the numbers. I really hope he has. Um, I'm going to kind of throw it back to him and say, let's break it down. Oh, you want, you want the gory details. Uh, so me, I was a good boy. £39. Again, because I managed to get a couple of, you know, good guy, good guy get out of flying free cards during the season. Uh, ben, £45.50. And Tom, the rest. <laughs> and, and Tom, the man who about six weeks ago said, if I'm going to win anything, it might as well be this, and got really rather angry at one point when Ben had overtaken him, finished on £48. <laughs> Basically, what I've done there is I've just gone, happy birthday, Tom, give me your wallet. <laughs> that's fair um, yeah no. I'll tell you what Tom I, in the interest of fairness you can pick the charity next year okay yeah, not, as, the, as the winner of fights so I, I take it so, so I take it this isn't like one of those things where you go to the restaurant and we say we'll split the bill three ways nope, <laughs> nope. why do you think I asked for the actual details yeah okay no, that's no I think and yeah it's good that it is as much as it's like a fun little joke and stuff, it's nice for the money to a good cause. It is nice oh, to be okay. doing something for a good cause. And yeah, the Mind Charity do a lot of really good work. So, Hey, everyone who's listened to this now know that Charity Finds is a thing. So next year, it'll be even worse and you can be spot find around the Link Centre. Ben and Tom will now have that power to demand 50p from you. <laughs> yep. And I'm also going to throw this one out there because I'm kind of in that mood. If anybody out there is listening that now understands why we've done this and what we've done it for and thinks to themselves, I've done stuff over the year which probably equates to about a tenner. If somebody wants to top that up to 150 as a nice round number, our DMs are open. Or people want to you know, chip in a couple of quid. Our DMs are open. I will leave it in uh, a couple of weeks until I uh, transfer the money over. But whatever happens, £140 will be going. And if it gets more than that, it gets more than that. But the caveat I will say is if you do DM us and say, I've done this, then we need to know what, because, you know, um, we may if we get some, we may even have like a greatest hits next week. I don't know. It's hockey faux pas. I feel we should say that as well. It's hockey faux pas. If you've done something wrong in hockey, again, like me, misspelling names or every time I try and tweet from the devil's account or Ben, similar, or Tom, starting war with whatever hockey team, country or personality he'd like to this week, then, yeah, feel free. It's Again, it's all for a good cause. Absolutely. Um, all that's left for me to say is uh, a slight apology to all our listeners because uh, I thought I wasn't going to have to do this again. Um, but unfortunately, for this genuinely will be the last time. Um, Tom, what's happening this weekend? We we have hockey at the Link Centre. We do have hockey at the Link Centre. It's Stevie Whitfield's testimonial. It is 
a 6.30 p.m. face-off, as per usual for Saturday Night at the Link. Yeah, get your tickets. It'll be fun. There's some names playing. Um, yeah, lots of Not off the Kieran Long's playing. He's raffling off one of his jersey, his Belfast Giants jersey. Kieran uh, Long, Jonas Who, Jan Costel. Ryan Aldridge. Ryan Aldridge. Um, yeah. Gareth Endicott. Scott Tyler Plews. Scott Plews for some reason. Tyler Plews. Uh, lots of it. Stevie Lyle is back in the, at the link. Um, loads of guys. Loads of ex-podcasts. It's always... These testimonials, they're always a fun night. It's, yeah. Yeah, come along. Come along. It'd be nice. It'd be a nice stress-free... I'm not getting fine for not turning up to this. <laughs> yeah. It's a stress-free evening of hockey. Um... Yeah, chance to see some legends, chance to see the team one last time. Um, yeah, and obviously, obviously, you know, a good, good way to celebrate ten years that Stevie Whitford has given the ten years that Stevie Whitford's given to the senior Wildcats, and all the years he's given to Swindon Hockey before that. So, yep, yeah, absolutely. Um, unless there's anything else from either of you two, all that's left for me to say is we'll be back next week. Like I said earlier, hopefully all being well, it will be the three of us and Aaron, and we will sit down and talk through the Wildcat season. Uh, we'll also probably have conversations about the award winners as well, because they will have been announced by then from the uh, Supporters Club end of season party on Friday night. But until then, thanks for listening. Um, here's to the next 50. And Tom, happy birthday.